0: Dancing to Sega's Neptune. All this and more coming up on This Week in Retro.
1: High resolution color graphics. This land of high technology. The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those
0: kids are not afraid of computers.
1: Kobolux horn with AI. Porky maps. And the doomed Sega Neptune rises. All this and more coming up on this week's show. Up to date news for out of date tech.
0: Hello, guys. Welcome to show 150. And uh, what a ride it's been. I wonder if there's anyone out there who has listened to all 150 shows. We mentioned last week some people were sharing their Spotify statistics and things like that, their YouTube statistics, weren't there? And the number of hours people have listened to this show for has been incredible. So uh, I think I speak for us all when I say thank you very much to everyone, whether this is your first listen or whether you've been along for the whole ride. Welcome, and uh, thank you so much for supporting the show as we head towards Christmas. One more show till Christmas, guys. Have you done your shopping? Yep.
1: Done. Some.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Gift cards and yeah. money, yeah. Yeah, I'll oh, oh, get all sorted. Well, if you haven't done your shopping and you want to find something <laughs> to put in your stockings, see, this is, this is seamless, guys, seamless. Get the RMC Retro Christmas calendar. No, it's not a Christmas calendar. It's a 2024 calendar. It's suitable for all year and not just for Christmas. Um, it's uh, a calendar uh, that I release every year. 100% of the profits go to charity and it's available at shop.heba.co.uk. Or in fact, just go to retrocollective.co.uk and click on shop and um, help me to uh, support a good cause. Thank you guys. I won't I won't dwell on it too much. Just wanted to squeeze that in. Do you think I got away with it? I think you did. Aye
1: yeah Yeah, i've got my order in good
0: something else i purchased this week um i did i did that thing that we've all done once in a while an accidental ebay purchase put in a silly bid oh accidentally won it (laughs) but it's turned out okay so some of you know i've got a sega megatech arcade have you seen
2: that one um yeah i've never done a video on it it looks like a puggy It's weird. It doesn't look like a normal arcade machine. A puggy. A puggy is a is is that a word in England as well? A puggy is a a Scottish word to describe a fruit machine. Oh, Uh, okay. Puggy. 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 Okay. It looks like a puggy. That's Hmm. what it
0: does. So it does. It's got uh, it's got two screens. So it does. And uh, on the top screen, small screen, you can uh, you can choose a game. <laughs> on the bottom screen, you play the game. It's essentially a Mega Drive though in arcade form. Now, why am I talking about this? Well, I bought one. I've got one in the cave, and then one came up on eBay last week with a fifty-pound starting bid or make an offer. And I thought oh, these go for a couple of grand normally. This is you know. It's never going to go for fifty quid. That's just—it's an auction. It's a starting bid. But I'll put in a stupid offer. Put in a two hundred quid offer. It was immediately accepted. But Yeah. Now it's not in great condition. The top monitor has been necked, but I have collected it. I have got it. It is—it. It, it's probably the dustiest thing I've ever bought. It, there, there. It is thick with dust. So I have since bought the murder gloves, the full body suit, the dust mask, everything to do a, a video about cleaning this thing up. Breaking and then I Biden. found. Inside of it, I found eight or nine cartridges. There are cartridges you can't just use normal Mega Drive cartridges. You've got to use special ones for it. In there, so I could immediately sell those cartridges and get my money back. So it, it's turned out to be quite,
2: quite the bargain. Even though it needs a lot of work done to it, quite the bargain. Can you turn a normal Mega Drive cartridge into a car? Can you print a PCB and swap the, the chips across or something?
0: There's an adapter, like a pass-through adapter that you can put oh, into okay. the slot yeah. and then put a normal Mega Drive car in yeah. if you want to. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that'll be an upcoming project. Accidental eBay purchase, but I'm pretty pleased with how that's turned out. I think mm-hmm. that's, that's yeah. pretty good value for money. Can you remember an accidental eBay purchase that you guys have done or a drunk eBay purchase? <laughs> I see Chris I,
1: smiling when I say that. Yeah, drunk ones. Unfortunately, I never I never win them. I lose sleep that night thinking, oh, oh no, I'm winning. Yeah. <laughs> and then I lose sleep. Dave, I know. Dave I,
0: Dave, I know it's very measured in his purchasing. He uses
2: sniping tools and things like that. So I, I don't think yeah. there's room for accidents. There is. Um, I have bought things on a whim when it's listed with a buy it now price thinking, oh, that's cheap. That's a bargain. I don't have that. Yes, I do. I have several copies of the same Amstrad tape games because they're so cheap. You don't check it, and you think, "Oh, I remember that." I'll get that, and then it turns out yeah, i have done that twice before. Yeah, I've yeah. got, um, I've got, I've got two copies of F nineteen Stealth Fighter. The same thing. I thought, I thought well, that's a good. I'll, I'll need to get that. Of course, I. <laughs> he couldn't find already. it so he bought another one well that's that's basically it yeah um but i do use gixon i use gixon for sniping and i would advise anyone who's buying something on ebay i turn an auction to use it because all it does is it waits the last minute the last few seconds before it submits your your offer and it means no one else gets to find out how much you're going to pay and it can save you a fortune because it's a well i'm disappointed
0: I'm disappointed that my stealth joke went under the radar there. Um, <laughs> Chris, how was the Perth
1: Amiga user group meet You went to? That was fantastic. It was meet 10. And my wife, Nikki, came along to the Manor reception desk because we used Eventbrite for the first time. So it oh, was yeah. good. She could do all the check-ins. And then um, so that was good fun. And then went home after all the check-ins were done. Um, So basically, as always, thanks to everybody that helped because it's just, yeah, can't go off without mainly the admins but also other people pitching. Even if it's just down to putting the tables and chairs away at the end of the night, it just all... Just all helps out, and of course we had Amiga Bill as our online guest. So we did a Zoom meeting with him, and he was fantastic and very well received. So thank you, Bill. That was that was awesome. We had a good time, and he was it was very early in the morning for him six thirty a.m. after a night out. Whoa. So we really do appreciate what did you do his do that. Two four. <laughs> it was. No, wholly no. on him, it was 100% on him, and he says, that's fine, I'll do it, I'll do it, and it was it was really good. So, But we were gentle, we, we made sure it didn't run on for too long. Um, so that was good. Uh, numbers were down slightly, but I won't dwell on that, but we, we were already thinking about a new format for next year, we just need to reshape things. This time of year as well, people are busy in December. Yeah, Um. So and skint. Yeah. yeah, and skint, exactly. Um. So there we go. Um. It, there was a quite amusing thing, though, because I set up, all I took along was my A1200, and because it's MeetsX and it's Christmas, right? I just left it running with um, Maria Whitaker's Xmas box <laughs> <laughs> on the thing, thinking no one's going to sit there and beat it, right? Because you know, kids come to these events, right? So I didn't want—I didn't want anything. No one's going to sit there and go through the game to completion, and and um, and then suddenly one of the other admins called me over and said, "Chris, how do I switch this off?" Al, just three finger salute would have rebooted the machine. But anyway, um, (laughs) so there was a big panic because suddenly there was something not quite family friendly on the screen because somebody had, in fact, sat there until they'd finished the game, which was quite amusing. But yeah, um, yeah, for those who don't know,
0: Maria's Christmas Box is a strip poker game.
1: Yes. Who thought (laughs) to put that on in the middle of a family friendly event? Oh, I'm just no, gonna sit there and finish it. Anyway, um, that that wasn't caught in the video, but obviously, just uh, we'll do a montage and we'll put it on the Perth and Me User Group YouTube channel. And and if you want to look at it, that should be up before Christmas. Um, And then
0: superb.
1: Good. Well, if you want to find the Perth Amiga user group for
0: uh, the next meet or a meet in your area, wherever you are in the world, recommend retro.directory as a website to go and visit. They don't sponsor us. It's just such a good website. I like giving them a shout out. Retro.directory. Find all of the cool retro stuff near you to go and try out. Awesome. Um, Dave, any update on your IBM PS2 that you've been... (laughs)
2: Uh, yeah, I got. It. I managed to get a replacement floppy drive for it, so thank you very much uh, to Nicholas for that. And I also got um, a, a guy called Peter in Germany has done this project to replace the the hard drive in it. You can use XTIDE, IDE, which is a a, a fairly cheap um, modern solution to use CF cards or SD cards in an eight-bit Isa slot, but I wanted to replace the drive directly. And the guy Peter in Jeremy has made this 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 drive. It's, it is based on an SD card, but the computer sees it as the original drive. So it's it's much truer to the original layer. So my PS2 is fully working with a floppy drive and a hard drive. The only thing now missing is memory, but I'm delighted with it. It looks it it looks great. I've even got an IBM um, Model M keyboard in which has been bolt modded. Bolt modding sounds like the coolest thing in the world Um, It's just replacing plastic tabs with bolts uh, And it's all refurbished so I'm really delighted with that. I finally got the the IBM is, is It's not really the one to have because it's not even the best way to have a 286, but it looks the best
0: Yeah, from an era when IBM made things to survive an apocalypse or a yes. nuclear blast they are incredible yes. machines awesome well it's great to catch up with you both and uh, well let's go into this week's stories our first story today is submitted by listener g7vfy over at pcmag.com where an article opens an alarmingly large portion of the world's business and finance systems run on COBOL, and only a small community of programmers know it ibm thinks watson can help but it's not guaranteed Every day, $3 trillion worth of transactions are handled by a 64-year-old programming language that hardly anybody knows anymore. Yes, it's COBOL, or Common Business-Oriented Language, and its refusal to die, or rather companies' refusal to put the time, money, and effort into replacing it when it's still working for them. But IBM think they have something. They think they have the catalyst for replacing COBOL in, yes, you guessed it, AI. IBM's Watson first appeared on the scene in 2010 as a system that could answer questions posed to it in natural language. It later appeared on the TV show Jeopardy, taking home the $1 million prize. And um, that was up against the the Jeopardy champions. So they did put it through its paces and it won. But 13 years later, that's a long time in the computing world. It's practically retro now, 13 years later. But it has evolved. And um, it's evolved to take advantage of cloud-based processing and machine learning capabilities. In other words, IBM have developed it from a question answering machine into an AI system that can do as well as answer. And the doing IBM have proposed in this story is to port COBOL to a modern language. It sounds risky, pointing AI at systems managing $3 trillion of transactions a day. And it would be, which is why IBM also say that this is a programming assistant. It's a tool to help, but not to complete the task fully. You still need to do plenty of manual checking on the translated code to make sure that it all works. Um, An insurance policy, no doubt, that IBM had to put in there. (laughs) Otherwise, all hell would break loose in banks across the world. Now, while there's a shortage skills gap in COBOL programmers out there, as the old guard retire, it would actually be wrong to dismiss COBOL itself as an ancient language. Yes, it arrived a long time ago, but as recently as 2023, it was updated with new features. And in the early 2000s, it became an OOP, or Object Oriented Programming Language. So Oop. it hasn't stood still. OOP. OOP upsides your Oop. head, Dave. <laughs> However, the fact is, at the height of its popularity, Kogol um, was in the punch card era of computing which is why, if we just come on to my own experiences here, it was a real surprise in 1996 when I had to spend a year learning it. It it felt ancient even then. My own experience was that having spent a year learning Pascal, we were then to move to C for the second year and Pascal would be a neat way uh, and an easy progression from Pascal into C and, and off we'd stride. But the C lecturer left and um, so we ended up with a lecturer who only knew COBOL, and, that, and that's what we learned in the second year. I know. Did he seal away? Is that
1: what happened? Did he seal away the sea lecturer? <laughs> oh, very good Dave. very good, Chris. You didn't go to the same. Oh, you didn't go to the same college I went to because we had exactly the same experience: Pascal and then COBOL. Nothing more interesting yeah. than that. Exactly the same.
0: Yeah, well, this was uh, this was Weymouth College down on the south, south coast oh, of the UK. This i got to say, uh, the C programmer, when we were in the first year, um, we might have put remote control software on some of the PCs and caused him a few headaches in his classes, moving mice, adding extra characters. And um, I don't know, Maybe, perhaps we contributed to, to him leaving in that second year and we only have ourselves to blame. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, COBOL, for me, it was a bit of a mind bender to understand it off the back of Pascal, and it certainly wasn't a sexy language. You know, in year one in Pascal, I was making Snake. I was making Tetris and light cycles and things like that. Um, I wanted to learn C so I could make visualizations for Winamp and games and, you know, all of that stuff, all that fun stuff. COBOL was purely a business language for manipulating lots of data. So uh, for my final project that year, I wrote a VHS video store rental system, a COBOL database. And I'd even got hold of a Windows COBOL API. I think it was called Visual COBOL, might have been. So that let me write the code and then call Windows um, up on the screen, buttons, register if buttons had been pressed and all the rest of it. So I made a Visual VHS store in COBOL in the mid-90s. And that was the last time I ever touched COBOL. I had no reason ever to go near it again. And there have been many times over the years where I thought, I could have made a good career out of that if I'd just... You know, if somebody had said to me, by the way, COBOL, it's not very exciting, but you'll make a hell of a lot of money if you just do it for a couple more years and specialize in it. Um, but, you know, everyone thought was COBOL was dying even then and it was going to be retired. And ultimately, I would have been pretty bored by it. Anyway, let's talk about COBOL, IBM and the use of AI to port
2: legacy code to modern systems. Dave. I know very little about programming, but the little I do know is it matches what you said about Cobol. I know that it was thought to be going out, so nobody put any, any real effort into learning it. And if I had hindsight my career would have been learning cobol and then spending 3 or 4 hours a week coding in it and the rest of the week playing games because <laughs> i think you can i think if you if you if you manage to do it right you can end up with a decent income a decent modest income from it from being a less than good coder uh because no one else can do it and get the big money in i just don't understand how it's been though you would you would think that people would when there's such a demand for it, you would think that people would blag it enough to say, well, I did a year in college, and I can get my way through this, and I can I can pretend I know what I'm doing and get the reference books out and learn it. And as I go, you would think that people would get into it that way. I, I don't understand it. But AI, I think that's the answer. Um, I, I'm impressed with what AI can do. Um, all you need to do is thoroughly test it. The problem with these old systems and the reason why I think they're there is um, in the the financial sector, if you've got these old systems at the very bottom and you've got everything built on top of it, you can't just pull out the bottom layer without everything else going. So you're talking about potentially replacing the entire uh, the entire system that you use, all of them, just to take out the bottom layer. So maybe, maybe this is going to be the way where the... The, the the one at the bottom is replaced seamlessly with a, a replacement or they just say you know maybe we can keep it
0: maybe, maybe maybe yeah um just looking at the original post on our on our subreddit um g7vfy also posted an advert to a current cobol programmers job 70 to 85000 pounds per annum in burnley very nice and then um there's a really nice long comment which Everyone should have a read of uh, by IE Numerable661. They are a COBOL programmer. They talk about their experience in the industry, including um, a job which they did I- in about six weeks and they still had six months left on the contract. So they spent most of it playing Unreal Tournament and getting paid silly amounts of money to do so. So when I say COBOL might have been a boring job, actually, it sounds ideal. Six weeks work, six
2: months gaming, Perfect. Yeah. I mean, it sounds ideal. Um, as to why they're sticking with Cobalt, well, I, I, I always want to say, get, the, get a brand new shiny system in and you'll be, your, your productivity will increase and so on. But the reality is, I, I work in the, the financial services, and the reality is, it's super, super difficult. So get the AI to do it. I think the AI can do it. But I always feel that AI has this artificial difficulty that, 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 that shouldn't be there. Um, when we talk about AI doing tasks, there's always this focus on AI making mistakes. But humans make mistakes. Um, if you talk about self-driven cars, for example, they need to be an order of magnitude safer than human drivers. Otherwise, we've got all the stories in the paper about a, an AI causing an accident. If they can demonstrate that they're notably that safer than, than than human drivers, then why not? Um, but yeah, this this is this this might be the answer. And uh, I wonder if we're going to end up with programmers being the person that conducts the orchestra rather than the pe- person that plays the instruments. Oh, I like that analogy. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Um, yeah,
0: I think the important thing is when a human makes a mistake, is understanding what the mistake is and learning from it. Yeah. Uh, if a human is presented with a, a mistake that AI has made. Has AI made it in such a way that we can interpret it and understand it? Or is it just done some weird, bizarre thing? Um, I don't know. I don't know.
2: And human human errors, a lot of them are down to complacency and repeated errors and and Mm. transposing digits and so on. AI shouldn't do that. Sure, um, and another thing is, I think people often confuse K-
0: COBOL being really old with the hardware that it ran on originally, punch cards and things like that. Hobo- COBOL, as I said, has evolved and ha- developed as a programming language. I'm not saying it's still an ideal language to use in the modern day, but you know, it is not a 64 year old programming language. Just as C isn't as old as you think it is. You know, it has developed over the years and evolved. Chris, you mentioned that you learned uh, COBOL. When did you last touch it
1: i touched it back then so that was the early 90s um <laughs> so a little bit ahead of yourself um, and it's only when you read stories like that that you do sort of go oh maybe i should have paid more attention in college um because yeah we did COBOL as part of uh, a level computer science at west Kent college uh in tunbridge and what i learned during that that time of intense study uh, was how to be a good kisser with my then-girlfriend, Lynn, who I actually met in computer, computer science. How to play Laser Quest in Tunbridge Wells, because we used to skip class <laughs> to go there. Um, that was great, and a great friend- friendship group from out of that. Um, and how to play Street Fighter Two and Last Resort at the local arcades <laughs> in Tunbridge, two doors down from what was Woolworths at the time. So fantastic memories of the time, but very little study, I must confess. Um, so that study didn't go well. Uh, And this is only the second time in my life I regret those life choices. And the first was, which we haven't really talked about, was during the Y2K panic where you Mm. could literally name your price and generally all you were doing as a contractor, and one of my friend's dad's was doing this, was um, just changing the year fields from two digits to four digits. And that was it. Yeah, I could have managed that even though I didn't do very well at the course.
0: Oh, you, you, you're too honest for that, Chris. You would have gone, oh, 50p. It, w- it only
1: took me two minutes, wouldn't you? <laughs>
0: yeah. Wouldn't you? No. I no, sat you know, there you quietly and humble. as soon as
1: they said, we'll pay you £200 an hour, <laughs> I've gone, <laughs> yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah, there is crazy money to be made out there contracting
0: in IT. Um, I've... Done it myself to a degree, but only short term because I was never comfortable with the, um, you know, the the lack of security, (laughs) he says, as a YouTuber in in such a secure (laughs) job now. But at the time, you know, I I wasn't so keen on the lack of security. So I always sort of stuck to full time jobs. But, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. The lives certain people have had in IT and that extends, of course, to COBOL programmers. I mean, there must be a few people that just sort of jet set around the world. Uh, the more I talk about COBOL, the cooler it sounds. Being being jet-setting COBOL fixes for lots of money. Damn, <laughs> we missed out. Anyway, um, AI from IBM helping Cobalt is not the only example of AI coding I've seen. Uh, I've even seen people use it to produce BASIC. I think we've talked about it on the show. AI to produce BASIC for retro systems. I've got a friend who uses it to help him with Python code in much the same way. It gives him suggestions. He tweaks it, and he gets the program that he wants. So um, I guess. Does he tell his oh, employer? Does he tell his employer? Um, or is he? A no. snake about it? No, um, it's part of a kind of a, a startup project that he's doing for himself oh, okay. rather okay. than for his be employer. Off. Yeah. So he's sort of filling his own skills gap using AI to achieve the result that he wants to. Yeah. Which is cool. But yeah, I guess it poses the question, how long will it be before AI can do a good job of coding and porting code without human intervention? How long before we can pick up a mouse and say, hello, computer? It really needs to be in a Scottish accent. Can you do a hello, computer in a in a Star Trek style?
2: Hello, computer.
0: <laughs> Even I can do Scottish better than that, Dave. Hello, computer an right? And uh, describe what kind of program we like. Will programmers need to take a degree in English instead of coding to help them <laughs> des- describe better systems and get better outcomes? For the record, we hear it this week in retro. Welcome, our new AI overlords. Before we go into our next story, a moment, please, to appreciate and thank our sponsors of the show pcb way and look (laughs) look at my latest pcb way acquisition it is a pcb way for those who um who don't have a video i will describe it it is a pcb way neck brace look at that filled with very comfortable gel it's not just pcbs that they do they also make neck braces christmas decorations um pillows they sent me a pillow that you unzip and it turns into a duvet
2: incredible i saw you i saw you wearing that looking a little bit like et um is the neck thing comfortable is it Um, for is it for a flight is that what is it is it yeah yeah. yes
0: it's for like sitting in your car or on your plane or whatever and and having a little sleep on your pillow oh yeah when you're driving yeah it It looks magnetic magnetic oh it does say that in the description doesn't it (laughs) magnetic neck i don't what's magnetic about it
1: i don't know it said something about magnetic fabric or something I, did. I can't remember what you said last week.
0: Yeah, it did. Anyway, there you go. PCBway.com uh, for all of your PCB, 3D printing, CNC, and neck brace needs. Go and check them out. And we thank them that for is the, fact, in the show. In fact, gone, later Dave, you just crash, on in over, just crash over
2: my sponsorship slot there, Dave. Well, <laughs> later be on, the episode. later <laughs> on in the episode, PCB, we fe- fe- feature again because it was them that do the excellent 3D print later on. There you go. That's Good.
1: true. Could you true. wear that neck brace for like if your computer crashes?
2: Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That means you don't it get also, damaged.
1: Yeah, it also you won't get whiplash. As a VR headset. So many uses. <laughs> <laughs> this is brilliant.
0: Brilliant. Thanks, PCB Way. Let's carry on with the show.
2: I cheat at games. No, I've always done it. I do. I've always done it as far as back as I can remember. Never when it's with another person, obviously, but when it's against the computer, particularly when I want to see the story or I'm not enjoying the game, I will cheat. So that means in adventure games, only when I'm well and truly stuck. And sometimes, unfortunately, once you've had a hint or two, it feels like you've broken the seal and it's easier to go back and get another one. Uh, But these days I try super hard not to do it. But sometimes the answer is so weird that I don't feel I would have got it or it turns out to be something that I've already done or a glitch in the game, and there's nothing worse than sitting for a couple of hours trying to get past something and then looking up online that, oh, yeah, there's a there's a bug in the game, and you have to do this first, otherwise it won't work and you won't know it. Um, but straight out um, cheating and walkthroughs are not the only way to do it. As games got... Um, more complicated things got a little bit more gray some of my favorite rpgs had clue books and while yes they did have maps and so on they acted as a a companion to the game and the manuals rather than what came before with cheats so if you look at for example um i'm only up pool of radians this is the the clue book the manual and the adventurer's journal the three of them go together. It looks as if they are a matching set, even though you need to buy the clue book afterwards. And the clue book gives you a, a bit more about it. It helps you get more into it. The same with um, Eye of the Beholder here. Um, the the rule book and the clue book look like a matching set. They look as if they're designed to go together. And, of course, they were designed to go together. When you look at things like um, X-Wing or um Tie Fighter, the clue books for them, the strategy guides, um, actually continue the stories in the novella. So if you don't have those, you don't get the full experience. Now, thanks to um, of why don't you? We've had a submission from Eurogamer titled The History of Game Hint Pages Before the Internet Took Over. Because, of course, once the internet's taken over, it's so easy. Now, most games have have their own kind of wiki where you can go and look up lots of things, particularly um, strategy and RPG games. But before the internet took over, it's a great article which combines the author's personal experience with a good history of it. Now, there's lots of different ways it happened. Uh, I remember magazines, for example, where they would list the pokes that you need to do or the cheat codes that you would type into the title screen of the high score table, or they would have maps. Personally, I've had a few of the clue books. Um, I'll ask Duncan to put a couple of images of my shelves on where you can see the game and the clue book next to the strategy guide next to it. Um, but what I never had is the most iconic one, Infocom InvisiClues. And I don't think the author of the article did either because he's not mentioned them. So Infocom were one of the first games to come out for computers for the first mass market games and their Invisi clues were quite clever they had a progression of hints that got more specific and you highlighted them with a, a pen sort of a, a, a invisible ink type thing um, to go through the clues to give yourself only as much as you need and because you need you to use a pen it discouraged you from reading on and they also would put they would even put fake clues in there to scold people who tried to reveal extra spoilers for themselves uh, neil do you cheat
0: do i cheat um yeah it's an interesting story um it also as you were talking about it reminded me of certain copy protection features as well because if you think about games like um let's use police quest as an example sierra's game you got lots of different guides you got sort of the the policeman's guide to police procedures and things like that and maps and stuff like that and um it was integral to the game it had kind of hints and clues for example um Well, you'd have to use certain police procedures or it'd be game over, like walking around your car first or all the wheels would fall off if you hadn't inspected the car and things like that. Um, But also it doubled as copy protection. What is the word on page whatever line X? Blah. So um, it kind of all came together like that. But that's that's later than the Infocom text adventures. Um, Now, do I cheat? I've always been very reluctant to cheat with a game that I'd paid hard cash for. So a LucasArts or a Sierra game, for example, can be completed really quickly if you just follow the instructions and you know what to do. Um, I've had Twitch streams in the past where one or usually two sessions is all it takes to play through the entirety of a Lucas or a Sierra game, knowing what you're doing. Um, But going through the painstaking process of figuring it out over a week or months, that is the game. That is part of the challenge. You should be... away from the screen, thinking about the game, trying to come up with the solutions. That is the game. Dave?
2: Do you think you'll do a Twitch stream this this Christmas when you're off and play through a game or two? I think you've done that in the past. I've done it in the past. I'm determined to have some off, off, off
0: time, so... <laughs> Step away from the screen. But you know what I'm like. Close Discord completely. You know what I'm like. Uh, no, no Discord, no, no Twitter. I have Discord. On. I mean, I chat to my friends on Discord. I chat to you. I chat to Chris. So I keep Discord open. But yeah, probably not a live stream. We'll see how it goes in the new year. So um, yeah, as I was saying, I think that whole going away from the screen and trying to figure it out is part of the challenge. And at the time, it really crossed my mind to cheat with those kinds of, of games. Because today, as you say, the the answer is just an internet search away. And it's very, very easy to give into temptation, particularly if you're using DOSBox, for example, and emulating a game. You're on a screen with a web browser button at the bottom of the screen saying, click me, type in what you want to know. It's so tempting. Outside of adventuring, a lot of games I had, at least in the 16-bit era, had trainers on them. So you could choose how you wanted to cheat as the game loaded. But these, of course, were part and parcel of pirated games. Um, so I didn't have that same feeling of cheapening the experience because I hadn't bought it in the first place. Um, and then beyond that, you've got cheat codes that you can type into games. <sighs> yes, I did type cheat codes in from time to time. Um, but usually when I'd got to the point of you know giving up on the game, this is as far as I can get. okay, let's type it in. Two things I never did though, Dave. I never bought a hint book. Or a strategy guide. Um, I, of course, read hints and tips in magazines, but I never bought a dedicated book to a game. And I never called a premium rate tip line to get clues. Um, I know there were things like the Sega hotline, the Nintendo hotline, which is mentioned in the article. Infocom must have had one, surely. I think Sierra had one. LucasArts had one. Um I mean, it, it was a money spinner. There was money to be made there, wasn't there? Premium rate lines for hints. So I'm sure Infocom must have had one at some point. Um, but it just never crossed my mind to spend money on these things. It just it just never did. I don't know why. How about you?
2: I don't think I bought any uh, clue books back in the day. I certainly didn't call any premium rate numbers. I would have imagined that they would spend two or three minutes with recorded stuff before you actually got to ask a question and it would take three or three minutes and they would try and keep you on the phone for longer. I certainly didn't do that. I don't think we actually had as many of it, as many of those lines as, as they did in America. I don't think it was quite as popular here. Um, but I do have the guides now I love having the guide for particularly RPG games, or um, even X-Wing, for example, it can tell you what to do, but you still need to go ahead and do it yourself. Um, So I do remember magazines, though. Um, I particularly remember 8-bit magazines with maps for things like Jet Set Willy and Cauldron 2. And they would have this page, this double page spread of the whole map of the game. And you would get this view of the, the Witch's Castle and Cauldron 2 that you wouldn't see in the game because you would only see individual rooms. But this 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 map of it would, would give you this wonderful view. Um, and also the, the, the pokes and cheeks. And when you talk about uh, 16-bit trainers... That was that, That's the downfall that I think it is most for me about cheating. I would get a game, I would get a pirate game, I would load it up, and I, within a few minutes, I was rebooting it to put the trainers on, and I would just chew the way through the whole game to see everything I had to offer, and perhaps never come back to it. And that was because I had so many games and because I hadn't paid for them. But when I look back at games like Turrican 2 and so on, perhaps I would have been better. If I just practice and practice and maybe uh, never seen the later later levels in practice, but then I, I don't know. I don't know. Sorry, I was, I was just going to say those maps that we used to see in magazines,
0: whether mm-hmm. Monty Mole or whatever is laid out on, mm-hmm. on a double page spread. It was awe inspiring then just to see the whole game that, you know, and yeah. to see how little you'd got into the game and how much more there was yeah. to explore. But even today, when you look at them, it is awe inspiring to see how much was squeezed into 48k or 64k. It is incredible.
2: And also I've just had a thought. That must have been what the game designers did. They they must have started with a, a a piece of paper and drawn the map of the castle and then put it into screens and then afterwards someone's turned it back into the what they had to start off with. You'd like to think they had a plan, yeah. Yeah, for mm. sure. Yeah otherwise anyway. it, otherwise it, it would look terrible. Anyway, I think I think that Chris Looks far too pure to cheat at games. Have you ever cheated, Chris? Could you bring yourself to cheat?
1: I was I was going to say no, but actually there is a yes, and that's Avenger Games, and I'll come to that in a minute. But um, basically, obviously, first person shooters are my favourite genre. So cheating, in my book, is going setting it to easy instead of normal or hard. You know that to mm. me is cheating. But I have done that in terms of like things like Bioshock. I think I did it on one of the passes because I just wanted to enjoy the story. So rather mm-hmm. than using cheats, just making the difficulty level that little bit easier so that you're not hindered for hours, you know, or, or, you know, I've been stuck on games where you go, oh, stuff this, I don't know how to get past this, and you just never come back to the game. So if you want to see the end of the story, then just, you know, changing the difficulty level. And I know, you know, a lot of F, uh, first-person shooters these days, they'll actually, um, and this goes back to like the PS3 and Xbox 360 era, possibly even before then, they'll they'll let you change the difficulty se- setting mid-flow, as in, you know, from your latest save state, if you can't get past a, a point, you can actually then change the difficulty setting and proceed from where you're up to
2: at that point. Actually, that that's the same in, in strategy and RPG RPG games now. Right. Um, things like um, things like uh, XCOM, the modern XCOM games allow you to do that, just change the difficulty on the fly. And yeah. the same with Baldur's Gate, for example, you can change the difficulty on the fly and then change it back afterwards, unless you're playing one of the kind of hardcore hardcore iron man mode so yeah that that's something that someone's in one of those genres has thought it's a great idea has been copied across the rest and it does help yeah because sometimes the the game balance isn't always perfect and sometimes you might be challenging yourself all the way through and then reach a point where you just can't get past just get AI to play the game for you that's it just watch it like a movie (laughs) like a really just turn on a Bad movie. Open up YouTube and type in let's play and the, the game name and just sit in front of the telly watching it, stuffing your you face go. with a Easy uh, easy with carry out food. Yeah. Just do it that way. Um
1: where I have cheated recently, um, there's a c don't clip that separately in the outtakes, Duncan. Um <laughs> where I have cheated recently is um adventure games, because obviously that's not my forte. Um and so obviously when I went through Simon the Sorcerer to again enjoy what everybody was had been talking about, I used a guide. And also, when me and one of my friends recently went through Riven, we got right to the room at the end and then realized that we should have been taking note of some of the the glyphs that we've been seeing all the way through the game. Oh. And we're like, the stuff that. We're not going all the way back and finding each one. So we just looked it up on the internet.
2: And so, some, of the, some of the older games, I mean, the Infocom games, we go back to them, some of them had mazes and so on in them. And I don't think those aged well i think of all the things in infocom games the mazes aged the worst because you you had to get the graph paper out and you had to work them all out that way and it was time consuming and if you're in the mood to do it that's fine but if you're not in the mood to do it if the maze comes at a point where you can't be bothered with it then yeah that's when maybe just cheat your way through um i don't think there's any any real shame in cheating um however um it just can ruin the fun of it um I find though in RPGs, just like you're talking about FPS, if I play an RPG on easy or even actually on normal now, because they, they tend to have kind of easy or story mode, then normal and then kind of core rules or or standard or tactician or something. Um, if I play it on easy or normal, I find it's not enough of a challenge. It means that you just don't use the items you pick up. You don't have to use your character strengths the way they should be using You don't have to be strategic about it. And for me, that that reduces the, the achievement. And in fact, actually using a strategy guide can reverse that because it can help you learn how to do things better and give you some guidance on what you're doing wrong and learn how to get through it. Um, now the article goes on to discuss hint lines. Um I, I never called them as I said, but I think I remember them I've got this vague memory of there being one for Dizzy and yes. of the, the Oliver yeah. twins talking about it. And I don't think the Oliver twins said this, but I, I'm sure someone said that they put puzzles in that were impossible just so you had to phone the hint line. Um <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure that didn't happen. I don't ever, I don't remember any, that
0: i do remember them talking about it yeah yeah and it was yeah. a, you know a money spinner for Goldmasters.
2: yeah um but yeah crack games with trainers ruined several games for me turrican 2 for example i wish i wish turrican 2 had never used a trainer on it um but there you go there you go that's how it is i'm a dirty cheat <laughs> I would like to welcome our new patron, Andrew. Thank you for coming, a twirler. Hello, Andrew. Welcome aboard. Um, if you'd like to join Andrew and our other kind patrons, then go to www.patreon.com/slash this week in retro. Um, going through the the submissions to the subreddit this week, um, Sega which are happened. where, Dave? Which are where? It's www.reddit.com. <laughs> reddit.com slash r slash this week in retro yeah, or in the show the, notes the link in there that's the place to go to submit your stories that you might like us to talk about
0: and these are some of the stories that uh interested us but didn't make didn't make the cut this
2: week dave did they don't put people down that way they were these were great submissions they're all great um sega are talking about going back to the energy of the dreamcast era and i think i saw a list of ips coming back streets of rage and golden axe stood out to me couple of my favorite type of games deja um, vu deja vu
0: i'm sure sega have made this announcement before and before and before surely
2: i know i know i know um still more exciting year, than Cobol. um there's loads of coverage at doom at 30 uh it's everywhere there's a jeff minter document sorry chris doom the atari jaguar was 30 recently as well Oh, well, oh i, I saw that on a on, on a podcast um atari on, themselves. on one podcast yeah atari themselves <laughs> certainly didn't notice did they <laughs> next year next year when the the the, the official 30th comes out yes. uh ignoring the pre-release one there, you, there'll be an angry chris bashing in comments <laughs> on every article actually i think you'll find that's <laughs> true <laughs> why oh why are you saying it's the 30th it's thirty-one now. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. In other <laughs> news, there there is a uh, there's a Jeff Minter documentary coming out, or what do we call it in Australia, Chris?
1: What? Doggo.
0: A doggo. Doggo. A doggo. A, a doggo, do-co, mate. Doggo. mate. So it is lovely to see uh, Jeff. I mean, he is a recognised uh, star of gaming, but it's nice to see him get a documentary all of his own. So I'm looking forward to that. Fear Dinkum.
2: I put a picture. Of an $800 Sega Mega oh. Drive watch, which does look cool. It does look cool, but it looks like $8 worth. No, $800 worth.
0: Do you know what it looks like? It looks like the wheel off of Knight Rider. That's what yeah. it looks like.
2: It doesn't look that cool.
0: No, it doesn't. <laughs> it looks like the top of a Mega Drive. They, it's got the 16-bit font and the red text around the bottom. They purposely don't have the word Mega Drive or Genesis on there, so it can be sold internationally. They haven't tied it down to that. And it's got a little blue dial. And I'm assuming, does the top open or does the top not open? Because you can only no see idea. a small window into a number. Um,
2: I think. I, I, should we just move on?
1: It <laughs> looks know, like a, great a, to say about that like for
2: 800. An and we've all ordered one. novelty Christmas present. Yeah, we're all sponsors. If you sponsor us, we'll tell you. It's great. <laughs> we'll wear one. Then just one. <laughs> Duke Newcomb for the Evercade is out. It turns out our friend Clint at LGR has been secretly helping them with this mm. um, as their Duke Newcomb expert. Uh, they've done really well uh, it looks a great package for the evercade and hopefully it'll give duke newcomb to a, a, a new uh, group of people unfortunately there's a few problems that with it it's not perfect they haven't managed to get everything in because of copyright and so on but there's always a a minefield when they're trying to release new things
0: also posted on the subreddit is a brilliant list of 15 games that have never before been ported from the arcade to console the top three uh, cracking games, uh, and um, I think these are your thing, aren't they, Dave? Star Wars Trilogy, yeah. big one yeah. for you. Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, which I know yep. you're a big fan of. I know I knew it existed, I never really gave it the time of day until you came it's to good. the cave and said, gotta play this, gotta play this, and I actually put it on this weekend, and there were two kids that were just enthralled by it and played it for a good hour on the, on the um, emulated arcade. And uh, Revenge of Death Adder, favorite of yours sequel to golden
2: axe yeah I, golden axe is a, is a favorite of mine so i thought that well, that was that was one that was never ported and i thought it's a good mention just to make mm. me think of golden axe and um, this so list yeah.
0: games that they that remain unported is that the submission that we've had today Are i they don't
2: know they, they weren't ported from arcade to console so i'm guessing officially proper released ones there may be there may have been homebrew ports
0: Every now and then, you find that these things have appeared on some kind of PlayStation Two compilation CD or something I know, like that. I know, uh, I didn't,
2: uh, yeah, it never be I, fully I, sure. I didn't, I didn't write the article, so you you can't actually me about it. Another First. one to check out, though. Yeah, yeah. And
0: um, Bandai Namcom are opening new shops. Um, In the Gash UK, happy, three new shops. Yeah, yeah. You put this note here, so I'm gonna you're gonna have to pronounce it,
2: Dave. <laughs> yeah. So Gashapon capsule collections. Um, Ichiban kuji Ticket Prices, and Sunstar <laughs> Stationery. I don't know what any of those words mean. Oh, okay. I don't know anything about it. I saw it there, and I thought, this is just completely alien to me. Um, but apparently it's retro. A Bandai Namcom is a name we all know about, and I don't know what these things are. Excellent.
0: Well, that's the news in Dave's briefs this week. Um, please do come along to the subreddit Reddit.com/forward slash r/forward slash this week in retro, and come to the Discord server, especially over Christmas, uh, if you want some company, if you want to chat along with us. Discord.gg/forward slash rmc retro, where there is the uh, the wider rmc retro community, but also a this week in retro room where we can be all cozy around the
1: fire and um, eat mince pies. Um, Unlike Atari, we never forget a birthday. Actually, we we might have almost forgot one, and as previously mentioned in Dave's briefs, um, and also thanks to Dr. Local and a couple of others for reminding us that Doom was, in fact, 30 years old on the 10th of December. Um, So at the time of recording, that's only yesterday, so we didn't really forget... Um, But, you know, uh, uh, going to air, we're kind of a week late. So, yeah, I think, yeah, we sort of missed that one. Um, But the the link um, posted by Dr. Loco actually takes you to a news on The Guardian, um, which is uh, basically um, from the creators of Doom and uh, how important Doom was 30 years later. Um, So that's really worth looking at. And also embedded within that story on The Guardian is uh, an embedded YouTube video, which is um, video from within... ID in 1993. So that's really interesting to look at as well. So just sort Ed. of I point it out ID. I say ID. That's because you're wrong. I say ID, yeah. Okay, Ed. fine. And they say ID as well. I used to. And then, in that, fact, in the Half-Life, to... DOCO, they said ID. doc <laughs> But I'll not stop saying ID. <laughs> I
2: said ID. I, I said ID until I learned better. Uh, and then I, I, I spent ages punishing myself every time i said id and now that i've learned that i'm gonna lord it all over you and be smug about
1: it <laughs> I- i'm too stubborn for that porsche or porsche dave porsche exactly but that's incorrect and i'm not going to change even as an owner and you're not going to change either so there no. we go so id there you go slip so anyway. your mics
0: on and get in your porsche
1: yes <laughs> maybe um... a
0: copy of <laughs>
1: <laughs> <clears throat> it. So anyway, happy belated thirtieth birthday, Doom. And do you know what can play Doom? The Sega thirty two X. Here's my segue, guys. So the Sega thirty two X had a fantastic port of Doom. Which no, it brings didn't. me to the main story. Well it had a port had of a, Doom. It had a port of Doom. <laughs> it yes. had a port of Doom. <laughs> was it better than the Jaguars port? I liked the Jaguars port. The Jaguar um, was thirty years old, not long ago.
0: Uh, yeah, I think it was based on the code
1: base of the Jaguars port. So oh, it must have been awesome. Yeah. Anyway, talking about console gaming, the beauty of console gaming is, and always has been, the fact that you buy the console and it just works, and there's no need to constantly upgrade components like with the inferior PC gaming, of course. Unless you owned a Sega Mega Drive or Genesis, for those of you with a region-specific speech impediment, in the early 90s, um, the Mega Drive had lots of add-ons available, like the Mega CD, uh, which gave it CD-ROM support, and also the 32X, giving it the ability to play 32-bit games or you know, games 50 times better than anything on the Atari Jaguar. When all that was plugged together, some would call it the Tower of Power. I've certainly heard that name being banded around. To me, it looks like something I'd build by mashing the wrong buttons in a round of Fortnite, but, you know, each to his own. Um, However, Sega saw the error of their ways and intended to release a standalone console called the Neptune. And the Neptune was meant to be a Mega Drive with a 32X built in, so all-in-one console rather than all these added-on bits. Um, and there's a great video by Macho Natural Productions on YouTube that details the Sega Neptune and how it was abandoned oh, we in 1995, said it. In 1995 <laughs> said it. and sadly never made it
2: to production. Sega. Nearly said what? Sega. 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 If they've got if they've got a Saturn, and they've got a Neptune. Then when were they going to do Uranus? Oh. <laughs> You gave me the bouncing up and down icon for that, Dave.
1: <laughs> you interrupted my per- peripheral vision for that. <laughs> Good on yeah. you. Good stuff. Oh, dear. Anyway, um, I have. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's here. <Yes>, they <laughs> right. try this every week. They try this, and sometimes it works. I'll just anyway. jump in there, Chris. I'll jump in um, yeah. on a serious note
0: about uh, the the 32X and the Tower of Power and the interest in it, there's a lot of interest, mm. not just with this yeah. video, but surrounding it. Um, to the point where I put out a video this year on the Sega Tower of Power, when I finally got all the bits and made one myself, just in August of this year. And it is now the most popular video on the entire channel of all time. Nice. Um, Even yeah. more popular than Pandora. Even more popular than Pandora, which is still in the top five. But, um, is that in the top, top five? The Tower
1: Step of Power Yeah,
0: coming up 400,000 views, which is huge for me. And it just goes to show the interest in the Sega Tower of Power and what it could have been and what it could have done. And no doubt there will be just as much interest in this Sega Neptune because it is what it was Mm. going to be at some point, wasn't it? But
1: yeah, I've interrupted
0: your flow. Get back into
1: it, Chris. Nah, it's all good. Um, This video was put together by a guy called... Tito, um, and he, he basically details how a modder from the UK called Dan has taken matters into his own hands and created his own Neptune. And that this has been done before, apparently, um, uh, but usually it uses a Mega Drive 2 shell, I'm led to believe. But what's been done this time is Dan, a.k.a. Uh, uh, d Visix, he's basically replicated what the Neptune was meant to look like according to promotional material that came out back in the day. As always, we won't give all the details away, not just because I don't understand all of them, uh, but also because we'd rather point you to the source. So do check out the video um, and uh, you know we'll obviously give you all the links in the show notes. Uh, and you will, of course, need a, a donor Mega Drive and a 32X to make your own Neptune. But all the bits that you need uh, are all detailed in the community um, surrounding this project and also in Tito's video. And yes, he's made one himself as well. So not just Dan's made one, but the guy that made this video has made his own. And it looks fantastic. It looks like something you'd expect to buy in the shops if Sega had managed to produce it themselves. Uh, And, of course, the end result is a single console that plays 32X and Mega Drive games, which is brilliant. And this is demonstrated wonderfully in the video by playing the 32X port of Doom, of course. So answering the question before anybody gets a chance to ask it, yes, it plays Doom. Um, Now, I never owned a Mega Drive. I went the SNES path myself. What do you guys make of this project? Yeah, I'll
0: jump in. I, I I love the results of this build. Like you say, it looks amazing. It looks like something I'd love to use. It's solid. It's not janky in any way. It's not held together with duct tape or cable ties. It it's it's brilliant. Um and I would love to uh to have this to to play on. Maybe I should make one myself. And I hope I hope he goes to the next step and kind of Make some kind of retail packaging, some kind of box to go with it. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Using whatever promotional material they can find. Yes, Dave, you took an intake of breath there.
2: Yeah, and though, just- the, I'm just thinking back to the story we covered about someone doing that with a Spectrum. Remember, he uh, lost Lord, tapes. Lord, Lord yeah. I think the name was. And yeah, yeah, all yeah. the stuff with the Spectrum that would be. That would yeah, that would be the cherry on top. Probably why it's in the back
0: of my mind that story. Yeah. yeah, so that would be great. um There's good reason why the Neptune didn't exist, uh, I think. But simply, it's the Sega Saturn. You had Sega of America and Japan being out of step with each other when it came to product development and promotion. What they wanted to market in the US, as I understand it, they were pushing for the Neptune before Daddy Sega came along and said, "Stop being stupid. It's all about the Sega now." which was the right decision. You, you've got to be, you know, you can't be taking chunks out of potentially the market for your soon to be released next generation console. Um, and, and the Neptune was canned. The 32X has a tiny library of games. It wasn't really equipped to deliver the kind of 3D people, uh, 3D that people wanted at the time. They were looking to the previews of the PlayStation and the Saturn. They were going to the arcade and they were seeing Virtua Racer and Virtua Fighter and then Sega Rally and then Daytona and, you know scud racer and all of these things they wanted that in their homes and the 32x was never fully capable of that i don't think it even had a a gpu i think it was just a powerful risk processor and they they used it you know to to push 3d as much as they could but what it was brilliant at was nba jam and wwf and um there was the exclusive sonic it was a chaotix i think it was called the sonic game on the 32x with that little bit of extra grunt 2d games were incredible and I would use the Neptune for that regular Mega Drive games and then the occasional blast at 32X games um, that you can slam in the top there on the topic of Doom. While it did come out for the 32X, Chris, it was a poor attempt and it was rectified by the modern port called Doom 32X Resurrection. So if you're going to try Doom on the 32X, make sure it's that one that you're playing. Um That one does benefit also from the Mega CD. It can use the processing power of the Mega CD, the 32X, and the Mega Drive all at once. But even with just the 32X and the Mega Drive, you're going to get a much better experience than the original Retail one. So Doom 32X Resurrection, give it a go. Um, I skimmed through the video. I need to watch it in full, so I don't know for certain if he was playing that one or the Retail one.
1: Mm, I don't Uh, know that it was. I don't think he was
2: playing playing Resurrection. I think he was playing Retail.
0: Well, that would be period correct if he was trying to get yeah, that experience. Yeah.
2: yeah. It all comes down to Sega deciding that they didn't want to keep the Mega Drive going even longer. And I have a lot of interest in this and other systems that did a similar thing, try to to keep a system going by revisiting the specs while still keeping it backwards compatible. So the Amstrad Plus, the, the Amiga twelve hundred, the Atari STE Neil. The mighty GX four thousand, the yeah, 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 the Amstrad yeah. Plus, yeah, yeah, the, the CD GX four thousand, yeah, yeah. The, the GX four thousand was uh, was compatible with the CPC range, but also it had the plus enhancements, and it failed. And the Amiga twelve hundred, for all people, love it. The Amiga twelve hundred was, um, and. Have a go at me in the comments if you want. The Amiga 1200 was a great way of playing Amiga 500 games. Um, it didn't. It didn't restart the Amiga. It didn't give you the same burst that the Amiga 500 did. And this makes me think of the Apple 2GS. The Apple 2GS was hamstrung by the bad Steve at Apple so that his second attempt at selling the Apple Lisa, the Apple Mac, could be made. The Apple 2GS was deliberately um, restricted because they didn't want to compete with the Apple Mac. And I-, I can understand why Sega did this because it looks as if by the time the Neptune was coming out, it was. The, the, the Sega Saturn was was already clearly coming out. It wasn't it wasn't an, it it, the, it wasn't a case of oh we didn't know what was going on. It was a case of we didn't think about it long enough. But I I would have preferred if Sega had done the 32X and the, made the 32X com, uh, compatible with the Saturn, so that you had the Mega Drive upgrade path and you also had the standalone unit. Um, But there you go. The actual project itself is is amazing. The 3D print is really clean looking and the end result looks like it was meant to be that way. Um, The 3D print, it's very expensive to get a 3D print that comes out looking this well. I think it's over $300. Um, But the The video does mention you could do it cheaper if you were prepared to paint it, to spray paint it yourself. Um, So I'll be interested to see what people do. I know that um, with the interest in the Sega Tower of Power video, loads and loads of people are interested in this. So it might even be that people make Neptunes in numbers.
0: If they took that Neptune case, because it is such a good looking case, um, injection molded it, kickstarted it and Mm. put, put the mounting points inside it for... I don't know, a pie, a mister, whatever you want to put in there. I think it would pay for itself. Mm. Yeah, could be. With the option Um, to
2: put this project in as well,
0: for those that want
2: to do it. Yeah, I mean, this project, there's, there's nothing in this project that's, especially difficult i watched the whole video going through it there's nothing especially difficult apart from the the amount of things you need to do the little wires you need to lay and the things you need to learn. there's an awful lot of it so if you're used to doing console mods you'll probably be fine with this but it seems quite a daunting project not in the individual actions but because there's loads of them to do fascinating video though. Mm.
1: and also of course you gotta you gotta you know have a donor Mega Drive and the 32X, and you gotta to want to pull those yeah. apart. So yeah. there's that yeah. as
2: well. I think you need to be a bit of a super fan to do this.
1: Yeah, I think so. Um it is interesting to see, you know, what would have ha- happened to Sega if the Neptune had come out, but I don't know that it would have changed the way things went. I mean, if the Neptune was released when the 32X came out, so for existing customers they could upgrade. Um, whereas if you're a new customer, they could potentially pull you over. If somebody like myself, you know, buying the SNES, maybe I'd have gone to the Neptune instead then
2: then that would have been a good way to do it. It would need a, needed to have been decent enough in itself. I don't think the 32X yeah. was good enough.
1: Well, and that's the problem. In the year, in 1994, you'd still be up against the original PlayStation, right? So, yeah. you know, the Saturn came out in ninety five, and that was actually good. I remember a party at my mate Graham's house, and we played Daytona all night long, and it was like playing the arcade. It was as good as you could get in the home playing Daytona instead of being in the arcade, it was fantastic port. We had great fun. I got the lap record, the best track time out of all of us, just as I left the party at my most drunk, which was fantastic. Don't drink and drive, but if it's in a game, it's fun. <laughs> um, so I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. Um, is that your yeah. tip for GTA 6? <laughs> yes, yes, it is. I played GTA 6 drunk. Um, but I, yeah, if maybe if Sega hadn't produced the Mega CD, or the CD32, and this will be a very unpopular opinion, but stuff those projects and instead drop the Saturn in 1994, maybe the landscape would have turned out differently because then they'd have gone directly head-to-head head, head head with the new player, which was Sony, which hadn't entered the console market at all. So, you know, might have turned out different. I don't know. Just to put a spanner in your
0: theory there, mm. the Saturn did come out in 1994 <laughs> in Japan
1: oh did it in japan oh, okay <laughs> everything i looked up today said it came out in 95 so that must be Europe. 95 in mean, north right? america and so uh, okay.
2: yeah how, how did this how did the saturn do in japan against the playstation because mm. the things it aren't it always second, the same there. Well there
0: yeah yeah i'm pretty sure it, it did pretty well there. It might have even beaten
1: yeah, okay um so my, the theory
2: Proven, Proven, the my theory Proven, holds Chris my yeah. ther-
0: the big
1: question is when is its birthday
0: Okay, here's a, here's a tidbit of information for you um, from, from the wiki. Meanwhile, uh, Sega released the 32X on November the 21st, 1994 in North America, December the 3rd, 1994 in Japan. So the 32X came out in America after the Saturn had come out in Japan. That's how crazy it That's was.
2: That's daft.
0: Daft. Um, wow. Yeah. And... Uh, January 1995 in power territories and was sold at less than half the price of the Saturn. After the holiday season, however, interest in the 32X rapidly declined. Half a million Saturn units were sold in Japan by the end of 1994 compared to 300,000 PlayStation units. So the Saturn was outselling um, the, uh, the PlayStation at launch and sales exceeded 1 million within the following six months. Um, there are conflicting reports that the PlayStation enjoyed a higher sell-through rate and the system gradually began to overtake the Saturn during 1995. Blah, blah 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 So I don't know the outcome there I'd need to read a lot more but certainly the Saturn was a much stronger
2: release in Japan than it was elsewhere.
1: So, so maybe my theory holds up then.
2: Um, maybe yeah. maybe the 32x had it not existed might have stopped splitting the the market for the Saturn in the USA and maybe mm. it might have been Sega, Nintendo, Microsoft and um Sony all still competing now. Possibly. I and mean, Amstrad. And Amstrad. And Amstrad and Amiga. Oh,
1: definitely Amstrad. <laughs> and definitely Amiga. Well Amiga's still going in, you know, twenty twenty. Yeah. Amiga never died. Amiga never no. died. Amiga definitely never died. <laughs> Anyway, back to the Neptune, back to the story, back to the Neptune. This project does look awesome, as we've all said, so do check it out via the links in the show notes as Tito really has included all the links you need to make your own Neptune. As with all our stories, this was submitted, upvoted, and chosen from our subreddit, so please um, feel free to submit things yourself. Thanks, Pajako6502, for this jam.
0: Time now for our community question of the week. And last week's question was, phones can do so much these days. I sound like such an old man saying that. Phones, they can do so much these days. But there is something that your phone could do, but you use... Oh, is there something that your phone could do, but you use another device slash method for instead? For example, your phone can easily import dates and events, but you could use a good old fashioned... RMC retro charity calendar instead available at shop.heba.co.uk forward slash charity underscore calendar. Yes, a shame. Nice. Um, match, so yeah, our phones. We were talking about this last week. Our phones can do so much, but sometimes it's nice to have dedicated devices or alternative ways to keep your focus on what you're doing, or you just get more enjoyment out of it. So I will close contest mode on the subreddit, and we can see the top answer. Oh, it's a very short answer, so maybe we'll get a few more answers in this week. The top answer is from Retro, who says, Love a physical calculator to click-clack my sums into. Click-clack. Right. Click-clack. Yeah. And Computerist1969 replies, Yep, I've got a Swiss micros reproduction of the HP-16. No way I'm
2: using a touchscreen. Too slow and inaccurate. That's a good point. If you are, If I'm adding things up... I use the numeric keypad on a proper full-size keyboard and Mm. I wouldn't do anything else. I do too. And um, that
0: goes all the way back for me to when I used to work on supermarket checkouts. And uh, this was back in the days when you would have a different code for every piece of fruit um, every every vegetable that was loosely bagged so you would have sort of a code for bananas or whatever and uh, you would get into the routine of not even looking down at your numeric keypad you'd just smash the codes
2: into the till and that's always stuck with me hmm. clean up an L4 <laughs> um, Richard Cheers says music I still prefer selecting by flipping through the records admiring the great cover sleeves slipping the LP out of and placing gently onto the platter I feel more of a connection to the selection and compelled to listen to the whole album in an uninter- uninterrupted. That's easy for him to say. Apart from I the bit also where appreciate you've
0: got to turn the record over. Yeah, you got to yeah. stand up, walk across the room, well, turn it over. Well, you might have a fancy yeah. one that does
2: it for you, or a child flipping it. Um, I also appreciate the humble cassette. Did you know that it can sound better than a CD? <laughs> Can it really? Richard, what have we done to our comments? <laughs> uh, as to calendars, I have the RMC calendar. Neil, oh, really? what have we done to Richard? <laughs> I have the RMC calendar as it's the best one out there, but I honestly can't bring myself to write on it. I don't want to make it look messy. Well, Thank you, buy two, then. by two.
1: I bet he hasn't Thank even Richard coloured in his colouring book, has he? <laughs> I haven't, actually. Uh, antique- a nice short one. Yeah, very short one antiques for geeks says make calls so I'm not sure what he's saying there is he saying he uses something else to make calls maybe he uses the landline landline yeah, or a cu- couple of cups and some string maybe I don't do know you
0: guys still have a landline
1: no Ooh, I do no, I don't. as I do as part of my thing but not a separate line it's you know a VoIP so I, I've got a phone plugged in but all that is is to annoy cold callers because we never answer it it just goes to voicemail all the Oh, time. okay
0: yeah so as uh, as their short answers, we'll read out some more. Uh, Chromatic Core says, handheld games. I have a number of modern emulation handhelds, along with a couple of modded Game Boy variants. The thought of using an emulator and wonky touch controls to play classic handheld games makes me shudder. Yeah, it never quite sit right. sits right, does it, trying to play on a touchscreen when you want
2: tactile controls. Um, Dave, do you want to read some more? DM Landrum says... Even though some great apps exist for music production and phones, I still find them clumsy for serious music production. Instead, I have a pretty nice synthesizer studio with a large number of classic synths centered around a nice computer running a DAW. I don't know what DAW is. A um, digital audio workstation. Yeah. Do you mean an Atari ST? <laughs> yeah, could be. It allows me to get great results in a very familiar setting. Nice.
0: And I'm surprised I have to scroll down quite so far to find um, somebody says a watch. Mm. Um, telling the time. This is Jeff Mendoza. I wear an analog watch playing retro games. I'm happy with emulation, but it needs the right controller. Oh, there you go. Uh, Chris is wearing. Is that an Apple watch or an analog watch? I can't. No, that's oh, it's a, an well, old, it's not. School it's old school
1: Casio. Well, when I say old school, Casio still make them like this. This was only bought in 2019. Casio, yeah. fantastic. Look at their range. They, they look like and, they were made in the
0: 80s. Well, you, you should have spent $800 on a Sega watch, really. <laughs> I could have. Um, done. <laughs> and then to round off the comments, Bajako6502 says basically, anything there is an app for. If I can log onto a website and do it, then I don't need a single ver- use version of that website taking up space on my phone. Um, oh, and anything bought from AliExpress on the cheap that also has an app that you need to install from the website. <laughs> yeah that annoys me parking apps when when really the parking meter should just be contactless if you want to make it high tech don't don't make me have a different app for every different car park i want to go to um yeah i the consolidation of apps into things like just eat i guess makes our life easier but then but then someone's skimming off the top i don't know there is there is no answer ai will save us right
2: from everything yeah AI AI will make us all redundant and we'll just be given an income to sit on certain our behinds in the house and not work that'd be great we won't even need to say when we want pizza because
0: the ai will know oh you look like you need pizza chris there's one at the door
1: Uh, (laughs) oh fantastic what flavor is it meaty nice (laughs) pineapple and pizza no no pineapple yeah. So
0: um, time for this week's question of the week. And as next week's show is a Christmassy one, uh, we have, are we allowed to say, you know, the big man's coming for Christmas. We we, are the big man's oh, the coming.
2: Christmas. Let's not see who it is, but we have the a guest Christmas. for Christmas.
0: The big yeah. man's coming for Christmas. Uh, I will be away, hence why I'm wearing my Christmas jumper today. So from me, I'd like to wish you all a very happy Christmas. I hope it goes well. And I look forward to seeing you in the new year. Hope you have a good show, guys. Say hello to the big man from me and save me a present from his sack. And uh, we'll move on to this week's question of the week, which is a Christmassy one. What are you asking Retro Santa to put in your stocking this year? Ho, ho, ho. Let us know. Ho, ho, ho. Um, And maybe he'll read out your answers next week. uh, Who knows? Maybe it'll appear under your tree. You never know. Mm -hmm. Depends if you've been naughty or nice this year. Thank you, everyone, for taking the time to listen and to watch. If you haven't already subscribed to the show, please do so. Um, we are edging ever closer to 10,000 subscribers on YouTube. It's going to be a huge milestone to hit. So thank you. Um, or however you like to consume. I think it's about a 50-50 split we worked out this week, isn't it, Dave? Between yeah. podcast
2: It's slightly and more YouTube. people on YouTube than there are on the on podcast. But I know that some people don't watch on YouTube. They put it on on YouTube. If you've got premium, you can use it for background play. And you can use it to, to listen. So yeah. I, I don't know how many people actually watch the whole thing.
0: Superb. And if you enjoy the show and enjoy our company, of course, head over to patreon.com forward slash this week in retro. I nearly said the cave one there forward slash this week in retro no. and uh, treat us to a Christmas mince pie. Take care, everyone. Merry Christmas.
2: Bye-bye. Bye bye. I'm waving. Even Amelia doesn't tell you I'm waving. I'm, waving. I'm waving. Chris is waving. In fact, Marie is waving in the background. Oh. This Week in Retro was presented by Neil from RMC The Cave, Chris from 005 Agema, and Dave. It was produced by me, Duncan Styles. The podcast version of the show is available to your favourite podcaster, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And the video version is available on the This Week in Retro YouTube channel.
1: In our community subreddit at r thisweekinretro in retro to suggest and vote on the stories we cover on the show if you watch this week in retro on youtube please give us a like and subscribe to help us reach
0: new viewers if you enjoy our show and would like to support it then please check out the link to our patreon page in the show notes or description thank you for listening and we'll see you next time for more up-to-date news for out-of-date tech